Hello, everybody. It's Super Bowl Sunday 2021. And to get this out of the way right now, my money is on the Chiefs. I think they can win it all again. Whether your money and my money should be on PepsiCo, this is what we're trying to figure out today. Welcome. My name is Mike. This is the podcast I Do the Numbers. Before we start, as always, I highly recommend that you go to our website, you navigate to the reports section, you download the summary report that we did on PepsiCo. It's free. There's no need to provide any personal information or subscribe to anything. You can also support us by sharing this podcast, by subscribing, and of course, by reviewing and commenting on it on the respective service that you are using. And speaking about Super Bowl, I believe that many people are looking forward more to the halftime show and the commercials than to the actual game. But in particular, on the advertising on the commercial front, things are a little bit different this year, including what PepsiCo is going to do. Take a listen. Super Bowl is going to look a little different for fans and for advertisers. Major brands like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Budweiser have decided not to run commercials this year. Well, I, I mean, I think there's each case is slightly different. <clears throat> if you take Pepsi, they're not running an ad, but they are still obviously sponsoring the halftime show with uh, the weekend, and they have uh, airtime booked in there. PepsiCo has airtime for Cheetos and Doritos and Mountain Dew. So they're still big in the game. Coke has pulled out. I think... <clears throat> I don't know the reasons, but I know that obviously uh, Coke with its big food service business has had a pretty challenging year. So this may just be a, a question of, of, of cutting costs. And Budweiser, you had the CEO on, on the show earlier this week talking about the fact that they're just doing something different. They're taking the money that they would have put into the Super Bowl and, uh, and putting it to, uh, through the Ad Council into a campaign to get people vaccinated. So each is slightly different. How much does an ad cost this time? Uh, well, nobody knows exactly, but 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 we think about five five and a half million, uh, which is down slightly from last year. Last year was about five point six for thirty seconds. Uh, they sold out eventually uh, a few weeks ago. It took a lot longer to sell out this year, but that's not completely surprising because um, you know nobody was uh, clear on what was going to happen. So uh, a lot of people held back before committing. So there you have it. Still commercials going on, sponsorship going on, but at a slightly different level than the previous years. And apparently big brands, well-known brands are cutting back on costs, as they say. Whether that's actually the case, whether that actually makes any sense is part of what we will cover here today. 
when talking about PepsiCo. This is I Do The Numbers. Let's talk about Pepsi. Starting off, as always, with providing a little overview about what the company does and where it comes from. But we will keep, in particular, the historic view will keep quite brief today. So PepsiCo, a company that is headquartered in Harrison, New York, was originally established in 1902. The formula, the recipe for Pepsi-Cola, the original one, is a little bit older and was changed throughout the decades. But the first time that the company was originally established was in 1902. Today, it operates with almost 270,000 people worldwide, and that does not include any outside bottlers or, or agents, and they have split the business more or less in two divisions. One is the food division, which is slightly bigger. The other one is the beverage division. And I have to be honest, um, I have never looked at PepsiCo before. I think it's an interesting company, but I haven't really looked at it from an investor angle and analyst angle before. And I was surprised that they actually made most of their money through the food division. So the food division covers brands, uh, food and snack brands like Walker's, Lay's, Doritos, Cheetos, Ruffles, Fritos, Toastitos. You have uh, all the brands of, of, of Quaker Oats under there, which was acquired a long time ago. You have Bear Foods. You have Better For You brands. So, so among them, these well-known snack brands and lately also brands that are supposed to stand for a little bit more of a healthier diet and a healthier lifestyle, which is very important. Then the second division is beverage, and here is everything that, that you're very, very well aware of, that you've perhaps consumed yourself many times over, and regardless of where you are in the world, it's unlikely that you have not heard of Pepsi. So there's the Pepsi drink with a diet Pepsi, Pepsi mags, you have Mount Dew, Tropicana, Gatorade, Aquafina, the big water brand. Now Rockstar Energy is, is part of PepsiCo. They also uh, partly own Lipton Ice Tea. Miranda is, is part of Pepsi's beverage division, Sierra Mist. And they also distribute, at least uh, internationally, they, they, they bottle and distribute 7-Up. And more recently, they also acquired SodaStream, which basically enables consumers to carbonate their own drinks at home. And now Pepsi has also branched out into provide, providing syrups with soda streams. So if you walk now through the aisles, you will see uh, perhaps Pepsi syrup that you can then combine with your soda stream water to mix your own Pepsi at home, if you will. An acquisition that for many reasons uh, is, is, is showing what kind of direction PepsiCo is headed in, but we'll make sure to address that later in this podcast. Now about the history, as I said, I won't say much. I, I won't tell you about the pharmacist who came up with a formula, like a snake oil salesman, and then went through the motions. It is what happened, but there, there are some very shiny figures, people in the history of PepsiCo, and I just want to highlight one of them. His name was Charles Guth in 1931, so roughly uh, 35 years after the original formula and recipe was created. He acquired Pepsi, which, which went bankrupt before, uh, I think, one, two, perhaps even three times. So he, he then uh, asked his chemist to, to change the recipe, and he moved the company to New York. And at, this, at, at the time that he was owning Pepsi, he was also the CEO of a company called Loft Inc., which was back then in the beverage industry, and Pepsi was more or less a potential supplier to the company. And what he did as a, as a CEO of Loft was that he basically phased out Coke and all the, all the fountains and vending machines or whatever they had, and he introduced Pepsi. 
So basically, he used his position as CEO of Loft to grow his own business, which was Pepsi at the time. And the company or its shareholders, the Loft shareholders, they sued him. And there was a long, a long lawsuit uh, basically accusing him of using his position as Loft CEO to build his own company and to perhaps even preventing law from acquiring Pepsi in the first place. So this was very much an interesting case after which Pepsi got absorbed into Loft and the, the combination of the two companies was then renamed Pepsi-Cola Company. That was back in 1941. And about this Charles Guth guy, I mean, if you read up on him on Wikipedia, he also murdered somebody, but he was acquitted for that, even though it was clear that it was him but apparently it was, there was also some racial undertone in here. So this is a very interesting figure. I, I highly recommend that you go to Wikipedia, you read up on Charles Guth and on the lawsuit, Guth versus Loft, Inc. Now, moving forward a lot, there are a couple of, of relevant milestones in, in Pepsi's history that I guess we should all be aware of. One of them is 1965, when Pepsi-Cola company was then merged with Frito-Lay and officially became Pepsi-Co, Inc., the company that we know today. Another big milestone but then came in 1997 when, uh, let's say, the restaurant business that PepsiCo owned, which included brands like, like Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC, many others, was divested, was spun off into back then uh, Trike and Global Restaurants, which is today known as Yum Brands. So that was in 1997 where the company underwent a huge restructuring by spinning off the restaurant brands. And what followed was then another uh, phase of making acquisitions to strengthen these two divisions. We have the acquisition of Tropicana, uh, the $14 billion acquisition of Quaker Oats, merely because of Gatorade, but they have other well-known brands as well, which are still part of the PepsiCo company. They, they reacquired uh, or they acquired some of their, their bottling companies. So the company's charged with basically filling Pepsi into bottles and other, and other forms of containers. Pepsi made the decision to acquire their, their two largest North American bottlers for, for $7 billion in 2009. Then they made a major acquisition in Russia where they took over the largest food and beverage company in Russia called uh, Wimbledon Foods. It was a major acquisition, which also added significantly to the top line of PepsiCo. But that was back in 2010 and 11. And then if you fast forward a little bit to 2018, 19, 20, you can now see a new strategy taking shape at Pepsi when it comes to making acquisition. We're talking SodaStream, we're talking Pioneer Foods, we're talking Better For You Brands, we're talking Rockstar Energy. So we're seeing investments into, let's say, brands that stand for a healthier profile, that perhaps provide new technologies and and that are in, in the case of rockstar energy also a little bit more hip with a certain target group that is perhaps younger than than the the original pepsico brand consumers and with that i think we can conclude the history section there's so much more to talk about when talking about pepsico so why don't we move on to looking at how they make money and how well the company is at doing just that which brings us to analyzing the revenue streams PepsiCo, as I said, is a multinational food, snack, and beverage company. For PepsiCo, food mostly means snacks. They have other stuff as well, like, like pasta under the Quaker family of brands. But overall, you know it from, from, 
from snacks, from chips that you dip into stuff and you know them from soft drinks and perhaps water. This is what that Pepsi is best known for. Uh, and they are actually the largest or the second largest food and beverage company behind Nestle. So PepsiCo is quite relevant in the global food and beverage market. In recent years, I already mentioned that the company is, is trying to gain a larger share of, of, let's say, the growing segment that is driving consumers into healthier living, healthier consumption of foods and beverages. So when, when they made the acquisitions of SodaStream, Pioneer Foods, Better For You Brands, Bear, this is, this is all driven by the understanding that it's becoming more difficult to make money with sugary drinks and snacks and foods, and that people are asking for a healthier lifestyle and healthier products. And PepsiCo is very well aware, and they've made acquisitions to move more into that direction. What these acquisitions have not done yet is, let's say, promote another phase of organic growth beyond anything that is close to the inflation rate. So if you look at the 10-year annual growth rate of Pepsi, is actually there's nothing, okay? And considering inflation, it was actually a decrease um, in real terms. I mean, we're looking at a company that when it made the acquisition in Russia in Russia back in 2010-11, it jumped from 58 billion in revenues to almost 67 billion. So that was a huge jump. And ever since then, it's more or less been flat now that they made the acquisition of Rockstar Energy that changed. But in between 2011, 2019, 20, there was no growth. Yes, they made some acquisitions. They perhaps divested other stuff, not so much, but it was simply not growing. And this is something that perhaps is also a major complaint that some investors might have, that you have not really seen organic growth. Now you see good acquisitions being made, and perhaps this will stimulate another, another phase of, of good organic growth. The two largest uh, divisions, as I said, the two divisions are beverage and food. So in, in 2019, um, the beverage division is 46%. And that hasn't really changed over the years. If you go back to 2015, it was more or less the same. These two divisions are, are split up into nine segments, if you will, operating segments and reporting segments. Also in the annual report that Pepsi divides its numbers into, shows more details about. The two largest here are Frito-Lay North America and PepsiCo Beverages North America. So the two of them combined are responsible for almost 60% of the total revenue and for almost 65% of total operating profits. So Frito-Lay and PepsiCo beverages are the determining factors when it comes to defining where is this company headed at the moment. These are their largest and most important profit-contributing segments. And when we, when we look at what I like and don't like, these two will actually come into play later again. Just know for now that a little bit over 50% is from food revenues. And if you look at the overall business, it's, it's Frito-Lay North America and PepsiCo North America. So something that is happening in their, in their North American home market that really decides how this company is doing financially, at least at the moment. Going a little bit deeper, so away from, from top-line growth, which, which has not been there over the past uh, 10 years, it's been a little bit better over the past five because they've made some acquisitions, but overall, this is more or less in line with inflation. So you can make the argument that there's no real growth in PepsiCo. But the company remains highly profitable. We're talking EBITDA margins of around 19, sometimes 20, sometimes 18.5% over the last five years. So when you look at the, the 67 billion revenue they made in 2019, 
Um, they churned out 12.7 billion in EBITDA in operating profit, which was a roughly 19% margin. So I guess profitability-wise, there is no real reason here to complain. Um, they're managing the direct and overhead costs extremely well. It's clear that they understand their business, they know how to run it, and they can always maintain and achieve this, this roughly 20% operating profit margin level, which is quite nice. We're moving to the balance sheet. Uh, a few things stand out. First, the asset side, as is to be expected by these companies, also by, by Coca-Cola and Nestle, Nestle perhaps not so much, but Coca-Cola in particular, it's dominated by intangibles. We're, we're talking goodwill from acquisitions. We're talking franchise rights. We're talking indefinite life brands and intangibles. So if you look at the balance sheet of Pepsi-Cola, 41% of their total assets of more than 90 billion are from intangibles. And if you compare that to the equity, it, it gets more crazy. It's almost 280% of equity are assigned to, to goodwill franchise rights and brands. So they're really dependent on it. And obviously, if, if you believe in the brand value that is also on the balance sheet, that is not a problem. If you think that there's concern for certain brands, in particular now with the health trends, with the problem that sugar is causing, and you think that perhaps there is a devaluation risk in the company, a few billion here and there, and Pepsi's equity would be would be wiped out. So this is a substantial position on the balance sheet, and it needs to be looked at carefully. Just because Pepsi says our Pepsi brand has an indefinite life, so it's an asset that that will continue to be valuable indefinitely, and there's no no reason to impair any of this. So, sounds sounds wonderful, sounds interesting, but indefinite is a long time. In particular, if you look at how the PepsiCo beverage segment is doing and it's not doing as well as you might think it is. So this is certainly one of the one of the risk factors on the balance sheet. The second thing is that PepsiCo is also significantly leveraged. So we're looking at an equity ratio that's been hovering between 15 and 20%. And I guess for a business that is this stable, revenue-wise, profitability-wise, is not a major problem, but it's still a 3.3 leverage ratio which is higher than, than many other companies in the field. And three, also something uh, worth noting when looking at the balance sheet, and, and this is something that we can already also say for Coca-Cola, for example, is that part of their business is being funded by their suppliers. So we're talking about a negative trade working capital on average, almost $5 billion. So this is more or less cheap financing that PepsiCo is getting from its suppliers as as the the average number of inventory and and days sales outstanding combined is lower uh, than the time it takes on average for pepsico to pay its suppliers so this is a very nice feature of the business that they can actually run this highly profitable business and have a large part a large stake of that um, financed by its own suppliers it's always nice to have if you can swing it now Naturally, you have to wonder, uh, a company that is this profitable, that has a lot of operating cash flows, why don't they start paying off some of the debt? We will see that PepsiCo is, is paying large sums to shareholders every year. We're talking more than $7 billion on average over the past few years, mostly through dividends, but significant portions also through continuous share buybacks. So why not use this money, pay back some of the debt? Why not use this money? put it into product development, marketing, additional acquisitions, you name it. Difficult to answer at the moment. On the debt perspective, we're talking about $38 billion of the 92 total assets 
that they have a long-term debt, but that is mostly coming due 2025 and beyond, and we're talking about low interest rates. So perhaps it's just the clear opportunism here saying, well, the debt is not coming due. We can always use the cash flow to pay it off. We can always refinance because we're a profitable, strong, solid company. So we're not worried with lowering our leverage. We are just here to create value for the shareholders and to stabilize the business that we already have. If we see opportunities, we will grasp them, like acquiring SodaStream, Pioneer Foods, or now Rockstar Energy for $4 billion. But that will not prevent us from dishing out additional money to our shareholders and simply maintaining or even uh, leveraging uh, this company further than it already is. To sum up financial history, very little top line growth, a little bit better recently in recent years, but not really strong, super stable and solid profitability, and a balance sheet that has a couple of risks. But I guess if you're familiar with the business, you're also familiar and comfortable with the risk level it provides for investors, and it doesn't seem to put off too many people at the moment. Our selective dive section today is looking at marketing spending. Now, perhaps if you're familiar with commercials, you are familiar with the Pepsi challenge. You're familiar with get buy Pepsi, get stuff or Pepsi stuff, I think, as it's called. So these are milestone commercials and advertising campaign. Uh, they really, really stood out. And I thought it would be nice if we look back at some of the, the traditional, the very historic Pepsi commercials that I could find online. And why don't we listen to a few of those just to mix them into the selective dive section on marketing spending? Let's let's take a listen. Hey, come here. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. We both know I ordered a Pepsi Cola, and now you've insulted me and my entire family by offering me this, this whatever this. For being a civilized person, I'd like to give you a chance to make amends. Capisce? So the beverage companies, we know that they're great on, on ads and commercials, and they spend a lot of money on it. PepsiCo is no exception, in particular during, during the Super Bowl. This year, perhaps not with a direct $5 to $6 million commercial, 30 seconds during the game, but sponsoring the halftime show certainly is also isn't cheap if you think about the global audience that this draws this event. Now, in its annual report, Pepsi um, um, has a section titled The Total Marketplace, spending, which I've looked at for the past five or six years. Now, this would include usually sales incentives and discounts, but it's difficult to, to extract these figures because they're usually netted directly with the revenue. But what we can say is we can look at marketing and advertising spending outside of discounts and sales incentives. And Pepsi's spending has been fairly stable, but it has increased in recent years. So we're talking roughly four to five billion dollars a year that they spend on marketing and advertising. But this has increased from 3.9 in 2015 to 4.7 in 2019, the latest numbers available. And between it's been fairly stable around the four to four point two billion dollar mark. We're talking six to seven percent of annual revenue that Pepsi is spending on this. Put this into perspective, look at Coca-Cola, also a company very well known, super strong brand awareness, perhaps the, the most valuable brand today, as many marketing experts say. They spend flat $4 billion a year. 
But A, they're only a beverage company. They don't do foods. So what's, what's Pepsi? When Pepsi is spending $4 billion, they're spending it on food and beverage. When Coca-Cola is, is spending $4 billion, they're, they're spending it on beverages only. And plus, Coca-Cola's total revenue is significantly smaller than that of the Pepsi company. We're talking about Pepsi. We're talking about 65 to $70 billion in annual revenues. Coca-Cola is 35 to 40 billion, so roughly half, and they've cut back because they've made a restructuring. We will get to that when we talk about Coca-Cola in the next podcast episode. So overall, it can be said that I believe relatively and also in, in absolute terms when it comes to beverages, only Coca-Cola is spending much more money than PepsiCo. But PepsiCo is a well-known brand, and apparently they know how to do this. What I would expect is um, as, as they're trying to, let's say, defend their home market more strongly and trying to push for, for further international expansion, which they have said they would do, I would think that the 7% of revenue annual spending is the new threshold and that we should rather see spending around this or even above this this benchmark rather than and threshold rather than, than below like, like we have seen in some of the years past. Moving away from marketing, looking at the metrics in general. I believe there's some homework to do, in my opinion. The homework is you should you should stop the buybacks of shares or at least reduce them. You should reduce leverage, so use some of the money to pay off debt. Uh, on the dividend yield side, maintain it. So let's look at some of the metrics. Let, let's look at our metrics sheet. What we see here is that the total asset turnover, so the revenue for a year divided by the average total assets of the year, is below 1%. Which, which in part is explained by this large share of intangibles that they're adding every year through acquisitions. So it's not like, like Pepsi is not using its assets very well. It's just that they have a lot of assets and a lot of intangible assets. If you relate this to just the physical assets, naturally this, this figure, this, this, this KPI becomes, becomes much better. Looking at profitability, as I said, it's a highly profitable company. They know their business. They, they have learned how to keep costs under control. Their gross margin, so the direct cost margin in particular, very, very stable. We're talking EBITDA margin of 19%. We're talking EBIT margins of around 15 to 16%. The net income ratio is in double digits. Return on assets, return on equity are, are super, super solid. And given the high leverage, the return on equity in some years has been, has been above 50%, which is, of course, a nice angle. Return on capital employed, very stable, somewhere in the range of 17, 17.5%. So profitability looks good. Looking at liquidity and solvency, in 2019, or, or sorry, in this financial year, I mean, they will release the, the full year numbers soon, at least, at least they will have their earnings release, I, I believe, next, next week. And I expect that, that roughly 10% of the total assets will be cash. So we're talking roughly $9 billion in cash that they should have at the end of the year. Total current ratio, as expected, because I said they have a negative trade working capital. Even if you include cash in there, it's still below one. So we're talking about a company that, that, that perhaps couldn't, you know, with a snap of a finger pay off all of its short-term liabilities by using uh, or by liquidating the current assets, including some of the short-term debt. But it's it's overall, it's, it's a well-financed company with a cash conversion close to one in some years. And, and I guess um, there isn't too much risk about about running out of money, in particular because they can always refinance. On the solvency side, we've already said equity ratio hovering between 15 and 20%. Leverage is high. Intangibles over equity are super high. We're talking in excess of 200, 250%. PepsiCo is, is continuously paying out dividends. We're talking around 70, 75% of their net earnings. They usually then declare it as cash dividends. 
and the dividend yield has been fairly stable. We're talking we're talking three percent per year dividend yield, which in a, in a in a zero interest environment for investors is nice to have. In particular, if you believe that there is also additional growth opportunities for Pepsi. So you're combining the best of two worlds. You're having a company that will perhaps appreciate further in value at the same time they're delivering you a three percent dividend yield per year. That is not not too bad. And then finally, looking at some of the of the current stock multiples. So we're talking sales multiples below three. We're talking 2.8 recently. It has increased over time. So what we're seeing as revenue growth is more or less flat. The stock has appreciated. The market cap, cap has appreciated. We're seeing stock multiples going up a little bit in terms of sales. Also in terms of, of EBITDA and price to earnings, um, price to book, price to total asset is stable. Uh, price to current assets, it's it's more or less stable going up and down depending on, on where you are in the year. Price to cash is going up a little bit. So we're seeing that the appreciation of the stock is is visible in the multiples. We're talking about a company that I'm not saying is overvalued, but at least it's it's not as attractive an investment as it was two, three, four years ago when multiples were a little bit lower. You compare this to Coca-Cola, just to put it into perspective, or with Nestle, I'll get into that in more detail later. Um, what you can see is that PepsiCo has lower price to sales and price to earnings multiples, but on the asset uh, related um, multiples, Coca-Cola is faring a little bit better. But whether that's you know relatively over undervalued, we will address in a minute. The next section is the likes and dislikes. I said, it's a strong company, it knows its business inside out, and there's little reason to complain, but there is some reason to complain. But let's talk about what is good first. I believe the direction is good. PepsiCo has always had one of the greatest management teams in history. They've had outstanding CEOs, both male and female CEOs, and I believe the current management is, is doing well, just, just continuing what they have started in a way. A PepsiCo strategy is to focus on broadening the portfolio, you know, bringing in healthier products, healthier foods, snacks, drinks. At the same time, they want to push the international expansion. They want to defend their home market where they've been struggling a bit, and they're trying out new technologies. We're talking data analytics for marketing. We're talking efficient routing. We're talking about omni-channel presences. We're making acquisitions, for example, in China where they can try to sell products online. Uh, naturally, we're also talking soda stream, if you will. So make at home drinks that are then supplemented with nice Pepsi syrups and other products. Profitability, also a clear plus for this company. I mean, it's a company that even if growth hasn't been strong, they have managed to grow slowly and they've maintained profitability. They've even improved profitability here and there. They have good efficiency programs that are adding to the bottom line year after year. And their, their earnings per share growth uh, since 2014 has been over 4%. So every company that manages to do this basically remain as solid as it is, but growing earnings per share isn't a bad company. Can't tell me that. It's not a bad investment either. So there you go. Uh, COVID and Corona has also shown you how resilient this company is, like food and beverage companies in general. Um, it could have hurt them. I mean, restaurants had to close down. Certain venues had to close down. So you're thinking about less soft drinks and snack sales on site or in restaurants. That is true. But if you look at the earnings report uh, and, and, and how they still managed to, to spend $4 billion on Rockstar Energy, um, how overall this year looks, looks better than last year, or at least not worse, you, you can really see that PepsiCo is a resilient business, as you would expect from a well-run food and beverage company. PepsiCo has proven this in 2020, so I expect um, 
it's fair to consider this a clear strength. Then, of course, brands and marketing. Go everywhere in the world. I doubt that you will find uh, two out of ten people who don't know Pepsi, who have never heard the name. Even if you are in a remote village in, the, in Central Asia, or you're going to somewhere in Africa, it's usual that the soft drink industry has already been there. Coca-Cola and Pepsi, well, well-known brands. As I said, I have to admit that I was surprised that most of the company's revenue is, is generated from the food and snack business because I knew PepsiCo from, from Pepsi, it's quite, from soft drinks. Um, but the company in general, they have a lot of great brand names, trademarks. They're, they're globally known. Um, so you could consider these intangibles to be real assets unless they're getting into trouble because of the health trends and the sugar policies, et cetera, et cetera. But we already addressed that and it will also be part of our outlook section. And then I like the focus. It's beverages, it's snacks. They got rid of all the noise a long time ago. They're strengthening their core business. Again, this is also part of the direction they're taking. They know what they're doing. Now, before we look at the dislikes, let's just, you know, pay homage once again to the great advertising campaign of Pepsi and listen to one of their commercials again. Here we go. I'm not getting paid for this, by the way. It was the night before Hold up. Let's take this up a notch. Twas the night before Super Bowl, and all through Tampa Bay, the Chiefs and the Buccaneers were ready to play. When what to my wonder and I should appear, but the Super Bowl legends of yesteryear. You still warming up? Eli and Peyton, they're up throwing footballs, snacking on legs, and destroying them walls. His idea, Dad. He he do hey, 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 I don't care. Beast up on them boys, Archie. Go to bed. Thanks a lot. Catch the ball. Don't be scared of the ball. I was not scared of the ball. Montana and Rice relived their old glory while adding Doritos to the Super Bowl story. Hey, hey guys. Eight, then. Can I play? Brought some chips. Hell no. <laughs> hey, we're going to take these Doritos, though. Huh? Come on, man. We didn't play you guys in the Super Bowl. Let's go. My shot, Joe. Come, Come on. on, we're friends. Look at that. Oh, you guys are unbelievable. Ah. When up in the attic there arose such a clatter. It's called the Immaculate Reception. It was the Immaculate Pass. It was below the man's ankle. Easy catch. You couldn't make that catch. Brash on Bettis caused a snack table to shatter. Oh, I told you it wasn't that easy. I told you. Not just. Away to the window, Dion ran in a flash. He tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Kickoff is coming. The teams are ready. Both hope that their season will end in confetti. So get the Doritos. You guys are all right. And get the Tostitos, pour salsa, pour queso, get the Lay's and the Cheetos. Now snack away, snack away, snack away, y'all, because Super Bowl's here, and we about to ball. So happy Super Bowl to all, and to all a good night. And don't forget the chips. What don't I like about PepsiCo, or what do I think should be addressed? I already said that the top-line growth, you would expect a food and beverage company to not do much and still grow with inflation. For me, that's the minimum. If you make acquisitions like, like Pepsi does, if you're investing in certain market segments that are growing faster, uh, like veggie food, healthy food, 
anything that, that offers an alternative to the classic dairy products or to the, the, the sugar-based cuisine that people know and have grown accustomed to, anything that's organic, that's healthier in general, I would expect that it will cannibalize part of your existing portfolio, but you should still be able to grow above inflation. So 3 to 4% is what I want to see from Pepsi, even if it's only through acquisitions, organically would be nicer. You know, organic growth with organic food, why not? At the same time, as long as they keep adding to the top line and maintaining their profitability, then you're talking about generating additional value for investors long term. Another thing that should clearly be addressed as part of this is how much they really depend on Frito-Lay North America. We're talking 45% of their operating profit. So if you're talking about a 13 billion EBITDA, almost half of that comes from Frito-Lay North America. It's it's huge, and it speaks volumes about the, the profit margins of this business, which is above 30%, so much higher than, than the, the overall average for the company. And as, as they will push international expansion, this dependence on Frito-Lay might come down a little bit. Um, I'm just saying they should look for a more balanced portfolio. And what they should also look at is the third point is PepsiCo Beverages North America. I already said that it's the, it's, it's, it's the largest segment revenue-wise. We're talking a third of the revenue coming from PepsiCo Beverages. But it's also the one that shows the growth, uh, the, the lowest growth rate with below 1% in 2019, for example. It has an operating margin of, of roughly 10%. It's the lowest of the segments in Q3 2020 accumulated for, for the financial year 2020, it was only 8.8, so we'll have to see whether they actually get back to 10% for the full year. We should know next week. And so what you can say is this is this is the, the most important uh, business segment revenue-wise, but it's, it's not growing. Um, the operating margin has been trending downward. So I guess whenever you hear someone from the Pepsi management say, we want to fortify our home market, what they really mean is we want to make sure that PepsiCo beverages North America is not losing more than it already has and perhaps is being turned around on the profitability side. And I think it has to be addressed. If you ask me about the, the biggest weakness of PepsiCo, it's the PepsiCo beverages North America segment. They need to fix this. They need to fortify their home market. They need to return this to clear double-digit profitability and they need to get it growing again. Get it done, Pepsi. Then last thing, as I said, um, I mean, as an investor, I, it's fine if you want to return money to me through dividends um, and also share buybacks. Dividends is okay to me. Um, it's not ideal. I'd rather see you investors in further growth because I have a long-term perspective. And I would think that I would only use my dividends to reinvest it into Pepsi. The problem is that this is an after-tax issue then. So you, you're making me lose out a little bit. Doesn't matter. What I think is at least cut back on the on the share buybacks. Um, you, you've spent two, three billion a year over the recent years. This is money that you could use either to pay down debt um, for additional marketing and R&D product development stuff, um, invest in sustainable products and packaging in, in good uh, health-focused acquisitions. Get it all done. Don't return money back to me through share buybacks. I don't care. Okay, maintain the dividend. That's fine but use this money that you freed up by stopping the buybacks and invest it into the business. I want to stick with you as an investor long-term. This is what long-term looks like. It's not about quarter-to-quarter -quarter share buybacks to pep up your stock price and make investors happy, at least not the long-term investors. What do I think is the outlook for PepsiCo 
long-term. I believe part of the portfolio needs to and will be restructured. And I believe they will have to address the environmental impact that their business has. So let's go it step by step. One of the outlooks, one of the things clearly influencing PepsiCo is the ongoing health trend. So we're having consumers asking for more balanced, healthier diets, sugary sodas, sugary foods. They go against this trend. Okay, some companies, sorry, some countries have already introduced the sugar tax, having made soft drinks and similar things more expensive. And I guess part of that can be passed on to consumers, but at the end of the day, Pepsi and other companies will have to pay part of the price, in particular because many other countries are seeing that a poor diet and subsequent health issues are putting a large burden on the healthcare systems. They will push back. They will make sure that sugary stuff and sugar in particular will be taxed more and will be phased out more. So Pepsi will clearly have to continue investing in this field. I'm talking product development. I'm talking acquisitions. It's a huge opportunity, but it's also an absolute necessity for the company. Then environmental impact. I'm, not, I'm talking about plastic in the oceans. I'm talking uh, about water usage. I'm talking about power consumption. A lot of things that Pepsi does touches the pain points of today's generation to say this cannot continue. We have to do something. So I guess transitioning to a more carbon neutral footprint, improving your water efficiency, sourcing organic ingredients, reducing the single use plastic bottles. That will take money. It's necessary. I know that some authorities in the EU, for example, they already have a deadline in mind when they want to stop certain things or they will tax you higher for it. We're talking about making sure that if you use plastic bottles, it's a substantial part of recycled plastics bottles in there. This will cost a lot of money, year in, year out. Moving away from this now, you're doing it in part, for example, by saying, we acquire SodaStream, we want people to mix their drinks at home using the, the SodaStream glass bottles, water from the tap, and then our syrups are nice little additives that, you know, make the drinks nice and sweet. Well, then that's fine. They've paid over $3 billion in SodaStream. On the whole, it's a nice first step, but it will certainly not be enough if the subsequent steps are not being taken. I believe what we can also see PepsiCo to do is continue, as I said, their acquisitions and perhaps boosting through marketing the ones that they've made. In particular, SodaStream, as I just said, also Rockstar Energy. I mean, you look, at, you look at PepsiCo's annual reports, you always see a list of either acquisitions that they've made or things that they're considering where they're already in negotiations. So I guess it's part of the company's MO, the day-to-day -day operations. They should continue to do so. Uh, I'm talking about investing into healthier products and brands. I'm talking about um, also finding more digital paths to market and distribute your product, products, sell your products. So I guess technology-wise, there should also be part of it. And if that means, if, if it means um, to cut back on dividends and in particular buybacks to finance major acquisitions in the field, then I'm all for it, all right? You will see a stop price drop because people say, hey, they're cutting back on dividends and buybacks, you know, perhaps the stock will fall, I don't know, 10, 15, 20%. Who cares if it doubles long-term because you're making the right investments? That's what management should definitely consider, and I hope that we can see this happen uh, in the short short term as well. And then a major impact, of course, uh, and, and this will affect PepsiCo and other food and beverage companies in particular, is the topic of water. We 
If you look at the annual report, I mean, PepsiCo explicitly mentions water scarcity as a potential risk, of the awareness that clean water is scarce in many parts of the world, that private companies are owning sources, exploiting sources. That's becoming a political issue. We, we see regulatory changes. We see protests, people pushing back on this. Whether that automatically means nationalization of water sources down the road, I'm not sure, but the business impact for PepsiCo will be there, and it might be severe if they don't address the issue already as part of their strategy. I guess um, improving water efficiency in your production processes is already a good step. The question is, can you continue to own sources and exploit these sources and then charge people for water that you've bottled, which you basically took out under their feet? Under their feet. Uh, that will be will be very interesting to see. Before we move on to the next section, let's hear from the company itself. Let's hear uh, PepsiCo's CFO make a few remarks on on some of the more more recent earnings and events within the company. Let's take a listen. Yeah, happy to. It, it was really a very interesting quarter. I mean, we started off very strongly as a result of a lot of the the pandemic panic buying that that you saw early in the quarter. Then move from that to uh, sort of softness as we went into lockdown. And then later on, and toward the end of the quarter, we really saw a notable recovery. As you pointed out, the, the snacks and foods business very much benefiting from people staying and eating at home. Beverage business doing less well. As mobility increased toward the end of the quarter, you saw the beverage business start to come on more strongly and, and snacks sustaining well. So I, we kind of feel like we're, we're about a perfect hedge in terms of we benefit from from lockdown. We benefit from from people becoming more mobile again. We're we're really in a in a sweet spot in terms of performance under the conditions that we're operating in right now. The one notable factor, of course, is uh, lots of incremental costs related to COVID. About four hundred million dollars for us for the quarter. Which brings us to the final segment for today's podcast: the PepsiCo stock. If you're looking for it, you will find it under the trading symbol PEP. P E P. And if you look over the past 10 years, PepsiCo really wasn't a bad investment. I already talked about the 3% dividend yield, which is fairly stable. But also over the past 10 years, we're talking almost 9% annual appreciation of the stock, which was not as much as the S&P 500. Okay, I give you that. But it was more than Nestle. It's more than Coca-Cola. It's more than Danone. Um, who have all not appreciated as much even though they all have similar dividend yields. So overall, Pepsi was the best investment out of these out of these companies. Of course, PepsiCo's stock price has uh, been supported by, by stock repurchases. As I said, we're talking $7 billion in buybacks in the, over the past three years alone. The current buyback program, it will run out in, in June of this year, but they will certainly renew it, perhaps give management um, the opportunity to to buy up to another 15 billion, which they haven't done. I mean, they only have spent from the current program, only half spent six out of 15. But you know how it goes. It's being renewed, so it gives them the flexibility to do something if they believe um, that they need to somehow somehow back back the stock price in the market. Now, is that unusual? No. Looking at the peer group, looking at Nestle, looking at Coca-Cola, looking at Danone. Danone is the only one that doesn't have a buyback program. Nestle has bought back 20 billion in shares over the, over the past three years. Coca-Cola is spending 2.5 to 3 billion a year on this. So we're talking serious money. 
PepsiCo is not alone, but you can then wonder, well, if you don't do it, it may make you less attractive for certain investors. That's fine. But if you can use the money to gain competitive edge, why not do this? Why not do this? I'm not sure um, that, that buying back shares is, is the right thing to do for a company ever, ever. So as I'm recording this, um, PepsiCo trading at $138, which gives the company a roughly $191 billion in market cap. You compare that to Coca-Cola, $210 billion, to Nestle, $294 billion. You can make the argument that why why should PepsiCo be valued um, less than Coca-Cola? It's a company that's bigger, um, that is that is that is generating perhaps lower profit margins, but in absolute terms, and that that hadn't had to restructure its business and and become significantly smaller to to turn the ship around. But okay, let's talk about Coca-Cola another time. Just looking at some of the multiples between PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, and Nestle. Uh, price to book, Nestle at 6.8, Coca-Cola 11.6, PepsiCo 14.2. So with the high leverage that they have, it's also clear that the price to book ratio is a bit up. In terms of price to total assets, uh, PepsiCo is trading at lower multiples than Coca-Cola and Nestle. We're talking 2.1 compared to 2.4 and 2.6 respectively. Uh, price to current assets, PepsiCo at 8, Coca-Cola similar, Nestle a bit higher. Um, when it comes to to a multiple of cash, and then Coca-Cola is doing the best. What does all of this mean? I mean, in a low interest rate environment, the high leverage is not a problem. All right. The business, I think, is doing well. They're stable. They've shown that they've made good acquisitions in the past, and they will continue to do so. There are certain things that they need to fix, namely PepsiCo beverages, North America. But overall, um, I believe there's still more upside than downside on the Pepsi stock. So the valuation that I made, I, I think that long term, I, I see the value rather at uh, over $200 per stock. So we're talking also about valuing the company significantly higher, let's say, at around $250 billion market cap rather than $190. Um, there might still be some downside uh, depending on, on what kind of assumptions you make. So if, if the stock will lose... 15% short-term, okay, that's fine. Long-term, I think that Pepsi could be a very good bet. Um, they have performed well over the past 10 years. It's a stable food and beverage company, the second largest in the world. It, it is doing all the right things to make sure that they can continue to be a good company for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So I'm not saying that PepsiCo would be a better pick than Coca-Cola or Nestle, but I'm saying compared to many other companies, it's not a bad thing. Whether it's better than Coca-Cola and Nestle, we will try to address and discuss over the next episodes when we talk about Coca-Cola next week and Nestle the week after that, and even Danone the week after that. And if I'm not satisfied, then I will also look at other food and beverage companies. All right, so much for talking about PepsiCo. This is it. Coca-Cola next week, Nestle the week after that. As always, thank you for listening. Again, go to our website, idothenumbers.com. Look at the reports. You will find additional information, charts, and metrics. Look at it. Complement your own research. It's certainly not a bad way, in particular, because it's free and it's high quality. Thank you for listening. Share this. Rate it. Subscribe to it. If you do that, I'm sure we will hear each other 
again next week when we talk about Coca-Cola, but so much for the potential of investing in PepsiCo. I will now take a shower and then watch the Super Bowl, perhaps together with my friend Kevin. Kevin, what do you say? You want to watch the Super Bowl tonight? I just want to lie on the beach and eat hot dogs. That's all I've ever wanted. Welcome to this restaurant. Yes, thank you. Would you like something to drink? Yeah, baby, I'm thirsty. Okay. Wh- can, can, uh, can I? Mm. I'll have a Coke, please. Sure. Cool. Pepsi's okay, right? Wait, what? We only have Pepsi, sir. <laughs>